Hey guys, I'm Chris. And I'm Mike. And welcome back to this week's No Limits, the Thriller Podcast. How you doing today, Mike? Chris, I am doing great, but I got a question for you. And actually a question for all the people. I think we have to run a social media contest. We got a name. James Reese's Bookshop, Coffee Shop, Whiskey Shop, and Archery Shop out in Montana. I, I couldn't stop trying to think, what would this place be called when he finally gets to open it? <laughs> Tomahawk Cafe? I don't know. It's, it, Ooh. The Winkler Inn. The Winkler Inn. That's, that sounds like a really intriguing spot. Bookshop, coffee shop, and you can get some archery stuff, too. Don't forget the whiskey. And the whiskey, oh, whiskey tasting bar. Yes, yes. Dude, I'd be there every day. I'd move to Montana. <laughs> well... You can move to Montana for a multitude of reasons, so that's just a, another reason. So, I, I I've been waiting. I actually, this is a you know, I don't often finish the books before you, Mike. You're, you're one a faster reader, two you're a faster listener than me. But I was texting you like, hey, did you finish the book? Hey, did you finish the book? When 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 can we pot? When can we pot? We're actually we're potting two days later than we normally do because Mister uh, Mister Martini over there had to go to a, a, a concert. And he was a little delayed on the reading, but I will say we, it was worth the wait. This novel, I, I'm so excited to talk to the rest of this novel. We, I had a great time last week, and if you hadn't gone to check out our, our, our part one pod, go check that out. Might be one of our best podcasts ever. Yeah. Th- this one, I, we hope to live up to the part one, because th- th- it should. We were going on part one. Everything from our breakdown of the book, our emotional reactions to it, are kind of pondering what's next and what's going to come. I even, I'm going to claim some points here, Chris. I'm claiming all the internet points. I had a big prediction that paid off. I hope people don't take that as a spoiler from our part one because it played out almost exactly as I uh, predicted uh, with our man, William Poe. But uh, yeah, I, I think we saw it coming. I think a lot of people saw it coming. I want to talk about that twist, that turn, there's so many things to get into, and and we kind of get a cliffhanger at the end. I don't think bit, it's an, yeah, I don't think it's an in the blood level cliffhanger, but it's a real subtle little move. Actually, two or three really little subtle moves that I'm excited to talk about where Jack left us and what's going to come, because this almost feels like the first three books maybe were kind of a trilogy or an arc. These three kind of felt a little bit that way. We got some closure here, like you predicted. I'll share the internet points with you there. But it was really smart as Jack wrapped up some things to also open the door on others. And I think it, it was brilliantly done. Yeah, no, I, I said last week we, we need to get some clarity on things. And, you know, boy, did, did we. And I, I think we, we were seeing that in the beginning, right, with the amount of exposition we were getting, the amount of backstory about his father. We, we were getting filling in more and more of the gaps. Yeah, and I, I think it's perfectly like we're we're finishing these the second of the two trilogies, if you want to call it that, while turning a page to Reese's next chapter. And I have so many questions, you know. How how is Alice gonna be involved? She's now back yes. in the picture. Like yes. I was kinda of disappointed we didn't we didn't get to really see Alice at all, besides, you know, little little mentions and, and then at the very end the phone call. But obviously that leaves us with, you know, wanting more in the future i think he likes that character and he's going to play a little bit more in that space especially with the way that like ai has captured the zeitgeist you know chat gpt everyone is like oh just chat gpt that now like it's becoming the new you know instead of google it you know it's it's chat gpt it um and then you know this idea of the collective is still kind of looming right you know he he might have taken down one thing this is I think we mentioned this last week too. It's it's very Bond esque, and like you could the idea of like Spectre and this shadow group, and Bond taking them down. But you never, you, you know, it's kind of like Hydra, right? You, you cut off one head, you never, you never another one appears. So, yeah. Where should we start first? Should, should we start with a little little review? Say in the we, form of a limerick. Oh, we could do a little review in the form of a limerick and. <laughs> 
you were saying, you know, we got some closure on some things. Closure on a lot of old things. You know, we got Alice, we got Rafe, we got Vic, we got Andy Danreb, we Tom Reese, so much in that storyline. But we've also introduced two new elements that I think made for a great story, even if they're going to be more of a one-off. That's Poe and Stowe. I, yeah. I really liked how, you know, both Poe and the Stowe's were handled and Martha. I think this is probably the only book we really hear about those characters. But I'm okay with that because they really told a nice, concise story. It was like a little arc that that, that played out here. So I'll recap for you a little bit about what happened with our boy Poe. There once was a trader named Poe, playing the long game like a pro, fooling Tom Reese. With James, it'll cease, but the collective continues to grow. Boom, baby. You know, with Poe and with Martha Stowe, I think it's one of the, I'm struggling to come up with words like to describe this, but Jack is developing as an author. We're seeing that him grow through these books. And I think learning how to bring in a secondary character and fully develop them within one novel and give us all, their entire arc is like a challenge. You know, you can see that. Like sometimes people, you can see like they bring them in and then they're either not finished with them or they didn't develop them enough. So they bring them back later on. But both of these characters, both of them die at the end, you know, so obviously they're, they're gone. But I, I felt like there was, we got everything we needed out of them and they were so well developed. You actually kind of like, I began to like Poe. <laughs> and then I was like, yeah. but I could, but I could see the foreshadowing about how he's, you know, most likely as soon as I heard that his father was a shipbuilder and like cared about money, like that, that was sending up like warning bells for me. Like, you know, cause they sort of juxtaposed who the collective was and how they're, you know, these elites who had money interested with money, you know, but yeah, I, I what can, do, do you agree with me that you think that his writing is growing? A hundred percent. I think bringing in Poe and Stowe, I'm going to keep calling them that, uh, bringing that in and creating that I think was a huge risk. And his writing was definitely up to snuff. He was able to do it because the risk there is you can get people to say, how have we never heard of these characters before? You could kind of be wondering why was this not part of James's background, his life, his even his thoughts. Why is he not even mentioned, you know, when we're inside his mind and what he's thinking? These major influences, people his father, you know, took him to. He grew up on the ranch. He grew up fly fishing. He remembered the photos in his house. But that was okay for me because it helped land the aspect that he was playing Tom Reese that whole time. He was directing Tom away from completing his real mission of uncovering the collective by dangling this POW story. You know, he said it was a 20-year wild goose chase, essentially. It was accurate right. and true, but the collective didn't really care if Tom uncovered that. And and I said that last episode. I was like, I hope there's more because this POW story, while interesting, most likely true, and really important for someone like a Tom Reese to uncover, and I want the truth of this, is it that bombshell that's going to make people hunt you down for generations and decades? Like, and that the Russian government would want to suppress? Not really. And so that played off perfectly when Poe was using that as a distraction for Reese. We, the audience, were distracted by it, thinking this can't be, you know, the black swan, the big event, the big reveal. And it turns out the collective had their tentacles much deeper in something. And that's why Tom Reese couldn't complete his mission. So I think he was handled real well. Then the Stowe's, putting them in the prologue, what a risk. Giving us the hint of Tom Reese saving Martha, and that's going to be a major payoff because she gives Reese a huge hint or a huge next step in in uncovering uh, the end game. Again, handled by a lesser author, I don't think it would have been as impactful. It would have seemed cheap, maybe superficial, and I'd be taken out of the story wondering, who are these people? Why are they just coming up now? But I didn't feel that at all. Because if we step back, the context of this being the Tom Reese story, you know, we've been hearing about the key that he left for Reese. Right. And the car right, and right. the gun case and all these notes. And then in the last book, particular, in the blood, we're getting Tom talking to Reese. He's hearing yeah. his, his ghost, his specter. 
And the fact that all that was building, it was the perfect time to create a whole novel that essentially is a Tom Reese story. I, I really think that's what this is. And plugging in Poe and Stowe was just a perfect way to tell that story. Hats off. I definitely see Jack growing as a writer. I, I don't know if Devil's Hand or In the Blood, things like that would have paid off as well or been handled as well. But just his writing, you know, it's top class. And and I don't know if I felt that over the last few books. And I definitely did here. The growth is evident in, in so many elements of the story. I mean, it's, only, it's growth there, character development, plot building, and all that, but also growth on the action scenes. I didn't think Jack could get better at writing a, an action scene that keeps you on the edge of your seat and having insane kills for Reese. And he might even top his best here. He just he goes all out on some of the action scenes. Yeah, do, do you think this is his best action writing since Terminalist? <sighs> um, I would say since Savage Son. Okay. Because some of the hunter versus hunted dynamics there in the wilderness – Right, right. I I think that was really well done. I would say yes. I, I'm thinking back to like in the blood we had the Israel scene where he was with Aaliyah's sister and the kids and you know protecting them. Really cool action scene, but I think he just absolutely tops that. So I'm gonna say best since Savage Son. I I really think so. Yeah, he even mentions at the end of the book that he was inspired by you know First Blood Rambo. Once he said that. At the very end, I could definitely see, you know, it coming out in in, in his action writing. From the bank scene to oh, the sauna to the, the, sauna, the yacht, dude. you know, like, um, and then even even the little torture scenes that we get, the one with the with the the handcuff, the, not the handcuffs, but the zip tie gun. Oh God! Oh my Oof. gosh! But yeah, like, and just like you know, the different ways he uses the hatchet and knives and weapons this is to me one of his best action writing of all time 100 percent. let me ask you then like you mentioned them all the bank scene which we loved in our our last episode the sauna which we get here i mean he's just slaying guys in like the shower and the changing room to get yegenovich uh the head of the this bratva guy who also has ties to the collective or the the yacht, the nuke. It was like Memorial Day again. He's on a boat trying to disarm I was, his nuke. I was getting Memorial Day vibes. Definitely getting Memorial Day vibes. But now you add a SEAL's perspective because Mitch was never in the water. Right. And how Reese is using the water, giving himself, again, as Jack always says, that tactical advantage. He's like, you are the water, James. Use the water. Oh, my God. He handcuffs the guy to one of the chain links. He, holy smokes, he uses the chick, the dead body, and the <laughs> extra breath in her lung. To I, survive. Yeah. Holy cow. I, so come on, man. Like, what was the best action scene? Because I thought the sauna was clearly, when I read it, going to be the best. I would have said the bank scene when we read it last week on that episode. That would have been the best. But then everything he's doing in and out of the water on that yacht, it, it, I, I don't know how to... I don't know how to rank those ones. The action here is impeccable. You know, I'm, it's it's got to be the yacht scene, and I'm going to tell you why. I, at least I think it. So we get to the point where he's taken, right? He he gets you know tricked by Poe. Ultimately, we, we find out the Wagner group takes him. He falls asleep. He winds up on this boat, and we're about still. 30 chapters left, I guess, you know, where mm -hmm. there's, there's a decent size portion of the book left and I'm reading it. And cause we already, we already have all the backstory that how like the nuke can't be stopped. And we, we, we already know what's going to happen. And I'm reading it. I'm like, how the hell is James Reese going to get out of this one? Right. You know, at least with, you know, with Mitch and the nuke, like I kind of could see, all right, they're tracking the nuke and then they could stop it. But like, you know, we, we kind of didn't know the full extent to, you know, the mitigation plans of whatever, you know, this is a poor mid-trap Skylar of me. I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on the, the villain's name right now. But anyways, but because we got so much exposition with the Russians, we know exactly that, you know, there's no fail safe. I'm like, what is going to happen? And in my mind, I'm like, I was kind of doubting that Jack was going to be able to pull it off. I was like, we're going to get some bullshit. 
they contain yeah. it or they sink yeah. the boat. I, I don't I don't know what what it was, but I was like I, I'm already setting myself up to not be excited to not to not have it pay off. Yeah, yeah. and I was wrong. I was wrong. I, I'm going to call right. bullshit on myself. Like I was I was completely wrong. And as soon as he takes out, you know, the one guy d- jumps into the water. He has a a dead woman's uh, body hanging onto him, and then from that point on, it's like go go go. And we're, we're bringing in like, you know, his, the conversations in his head with his father and a nod to the whole, you know, breathing sequence in from the prison, you know, like how those exercises save his life. Yep. And then we immediately get back on the boat, meticulously takes out everyone one by one. And then he's like this creature in the night using the water, take, you know, he, he's shirt, he's shoeless, shirtless, you know. I imagine just like some ruffled pants, you know, like Rambo, you know? Yeah. So you sold me. You recapping all that, I forgot so many elements are at play. I, I think I was leaning towards the sauna scene. The sauna scene is badass. Is is badass. badass dude. It, but it's like he, it's pretty prototypical James Reese. You know, like that's right. that's what he's gonna do. And you can kind of see like, all right, this is this is what I'm gonna do. But like there, I'm like what is like, what is going to happen? I don't know what's going to happen. And then he ends up shooting. Right? Doesn't he? He ends up taking the one guy out. It, he runs. Oh no, no, we didn't even get to the best part. He runs through glass, jumps off the boat onto the dinghy. Oh yes, and, and takes out the guy. Like he's like, I'm, you scary. are you are not getting away. Yeah. I'm just imagining this scene, like in in a movie, him running. Through broken glass, barefoot, jumping, and landing on the boat. It's Tom that, Cruise. Like, it, oh yeah, it's Mission Impossible, one hundred percent. It's such a Tom Cruise Mission Impossible scene. It's it's insane, dude. You you sold me. You that scene is just so elevated by all those things. And how do they get to this point? Was the payoff of that scene with Kira, who is Dashkov's secretary. Right, activating right. an old what was it like 1970s or 1980s protocol her mom had to communicate with her handler of she leaving put a, a, thumb a silver thumbtack yeah, yeah yeah and then she used her own thumbtack which told vic and the cia that it was you know someone different it wasn't her mom because she's dead but it was actually her man and then all that intelligence leads to them doing the cypress op too so Oh my god! Yeah, you win. I was gonna say the sauna for two reasons. I guess we'll give him the shout out because I had that similar feeling. I was like, I don't know how Reese gets out of this. How many times has Jack done that? Right? right it's just right. you go. No, oh, there's no way Reese gets out of this. Someone else has to come save him. And then no, he improvises. And when he improvises with the rock, he uses one of the sauna stones inside a tower. Yeah. Oh, inside the, that was that was pretty cool. And he's slinging the rock in the towel at the guys. And then he slices a dude straight up from the nether regions through his stomach and sternum with the, I think he has the, the hatchet at that point. He literally just flays the dude in half. It's like some of the kills there were absolutely insane. And then he fireman carries Yevgenovich on, on his shoulders. And Rafe is like, what the hell, man? When he gets in the car. So he walks out there. He's in like Brooklyn, right? Like, or or the Bronx. Like where, where are they? There is some, some, one of the boroughs, not Manhattan, but like it was somewhere in New York. Yeah. I don't remember exactly. Yeah. No, the, the sauna scene. And then like the, the interrogation post in sauna scene, uh, sauna scene is, is crazy dude. like with that zip tie. I had no idea. Like as he started, you know, zip tying his fingers, and then his, then his legs, then his feet, and then his appendage. Ultimately, is <laughs> that's what got him talking. Um, oh, it did. Oh, one more thing about the Yahtzee. So after everything's done, he then has to figure out how am I gonna how am I gonna stop this nuke? And even that doesn't disappoint. You know, he gets back to the boat, is able to make a phone call. And at this point, you don't know who's the traitor, right? You know that someone mm-hmm. someone was a traitor to him. And I'm thinking Vic, you know, like Vic's the only one who knew or someone in this, obviously someone in the CIA. So or Andy. the first person, right. The first person he calls is Vic and Vic's like, what? I can't hear you. I can't, you know, and I'm like, right. 
he builds up more the Jack suspense. Is, exactly. And then finally he's like, Oh, you cut out. Like, or no, the phone the phone died. The phone so died like, oh, and he had to find yeah. the sat phone charger, yeah. Yeah, and then Andy Dandrev's like, Well, we're not gonna defuse the bomb. And you're like, well, what the hell? But we can do something else. I'm like, oh, that's an interesting take. I've, no one's ever said that in the million of different nuclear, like, right. bombs going off that I've seen. And, but it makes perfect sense. Like, those kind of things are, are precise timing. You screw it up somehow. And then, I, I bet, mean, I guess you, you, do you have to, my question that I, he didn't quite answer is like, do you have to set off your bomb at the exact same time or like right before the nuclear bomb is about to go off like how how does that work that was maybe a little gray zone because it seemed to me they had to disrupt the sequence the arming or detonation sequence and so like the only thing the, the nuke is going to initiate detonation but the only way to stop it is at the precise moment to not allow that detonation sequence to finish. You actually blow the hardware that causes the detonation impetus, if you will, or, or you know, catalyst. So I kind of had thought it would have to be this, like, perfect, precise timing. And then it just seemed like, well, as long as you blow up the nuke, it can't do that detonation sequence. Because yeah, he kind of just set a fire on the, on the grill. But he was even saying, when he was in the water, and he's like, I'm probably just going to die here because this thing's going to go off. I started the fire. It, it might explode, but it's probably not timed perfectly. He really thought it was it, it lo- he lost. But then the explosion happened and the nuke didn't go off. And so he's like, damn, it worked. Did it work because it was just a coincidence and the timing worked out properly? Or did it work because you can disrupt the <laughs> sequence anytime? You just blow up a nuke to stop a nuke? Or was it a coincidence that the exact second it detonated was when the blevy happened? The blevy from the pro- propane tank. This is where you know we need like a physicist or an uh, atomic physicist, uh, nuclear physicist to come on and, and explain if like this is, is accurate. But at the same time, you know it's buy-in. It's a little bit suspension of disbelief. And at that point, I'm reading and I'm like, this is fucking awesome. I don't, you know, cool. I don't care. Yeah, you know, I, I liked I liked his idea better than like, you know, driving it into the deepest part of the ocean and letting it. You know, letting it that's sink what or I something thought it like that. Be. You know, that's I. I thought it was going to be like, um, oh, uh, the movie that shall not be named, uh, <laughs> American Assassin, where oh, they shit. take they because they, they American remember they combine American Assassin they with did. Memorial Day essentially, right? You're and right. He has to helicopter the thing in out into the middle of the ocean and and drop it, and it just kills a bunch of fish. Like we don't, they don't even talk about that. Like that's what I thought they were going to do. And there was going to be some BS containment zone. That's like, Oh, it really was bad for the ocean, but we set up a containment barrier and uh, yeah, no, you didn't. A nuke went off in the ocean. Like shit's going to be messed up. Well, not even the ocean, it's the sea. So right near a lot of countries that rely on seafood and fishing industry. So I'm like, this is going to be a disaster. You you can't write your way out of this one, but he, he had a he had a better plan, or we should say Andy Danreb, the Andy EOD, Danreb. Uh, marine. I think he was a marine uh, tech. had had a better plan, so it worked. Really cool, really cool character, Andy Danreb. Like, I think we brought him up in which which um, book did he show up before? Was it Savage Son or uh, no? It had it had to been. Um, I think it was Savage Son. I think he was definitely in. He was in it, everything. I think quite a bit. Because that's when the Russian. When did the Russians start to come in? I guess Savage Son. After, yeah, after post true believer, Kamchatka Peninsula. Yeah, for right. sure. Right. I think they bring him in to first figure out there was the one Russian guy doing something in Central African Republic with mining operations or whatever, and they needed an expert or something like that. Right. 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 Dude, all of it, even a little thing like that where we're a bit confused on that, I'm not even going to call that a nitpick or a ding because it doesn't ding a single thing about that scene. It flashes in your mind briefly. You might have the hint of a question, but you never fully ask the question because it doesn't matter, and it's so awesome. I wasn't taken out of it, you know. Correct. Like, uh, and now I'm like, obviously, we're we're discussing it a little bit more here, so I'm thinking about it more. But you know, if I didn't ever went back to it, I probably wouldn't have wouldn't have brought that point up. So, yeah. well, I think because, like you said, we're all, we're still concerned about Vic because that phone call, which we don't want to be. But the right. writing is telling us we've got to be aware. Trust no one. 
his phone cuts out. I thought he was just bullshitting Reese. Oh, Reese, I can't hear you. And then hangs up as a way to not help him. And then another one, there was a little line about they have the documents. You know, Reese is wondering what will happen after the explosion goes off if he fails. And it's like, well, at least Andy and Vic took the documents to the CIA headquarters. And I'm like, is that a good thing? Because he's thinking, like, at least they have the docs. And I'm like, wait, but that could be a bad thing. That means they're going to get covered if one of those guys is bad. There's a lot of little things where a tiny little question of something that might take you out of the story, you don't have time to entertain. Everything is happening so well and it's executed so fine. And if anybody's going to nitpick scenes and books, you know it's me. You know it's the Thriller Pod guys. So – the fact that I'm willing to let bygones be bygones there shows Jackie wrote a killer action sequence. One of the best in the entire series. I mean, it's up there. It's definitely up there. Yeah, so did you remember that he had asked the guy at the bank about a copier? Because like, that whole ta- that whole scene was like pegging in the back of my mind. And I, oh, 100%. I was like, I'm thinking, at first I just thought he like sent a copy to Dan Rev. Like that, that, but then... He physically took a copy to him, so I was like, "All right, well, he obviously sent it to someone." And I'm like, "All right, it's insurance, you know, in case in exactly. case these hard ones get taken, then you know what's I'm going to have a, I have to have a back a backup." And then we obviously it pays off in the end where yeah. everything I didn't I didn't know he was going to pull the whole like I sent it to every news organization and, and here it is, but you know that was it was kind of cool. It paid off. A typical trope. I think it's been done before, but yeah. Again, what elevates it for me is Poe's reaction. You know, Poe was so smug. You're never going to stop the collective. Your documents are covered up. The Russians are going to put an end to this. It's for a better cause. The collective knows what's up. And when Reese says that, Poe's just, his facade drops. His demeanor changes. And so I don't even care, you know, you're teaching, you know, an old dog new tricks or whatever. It's like to watch Poe's reaction in that moment and the power dynamic shift where all the power was away from Reese, even though he was going to kill Poe and he un- he uncovered the truth about him, he didn't have the power. I think the moment he told us about the documents and the payoff from, geez, three quarters of the book ago, you know, when he's at the copy machine, that that pays off in that moment and we see the power dynamic shift and that's when Poe knows, not that the collective is totally screwed because Poe still gets his jab in of you'll never stop the collective – you know, it's Hydra, like you said, but the power dynamic still shifted. You knew Reese won. You know, he got the upper hand in that moment. And and I love seeing that play out on Poe's face. Yeah. yeah. You know, this book, we've mentioned so many callbacks. Just a quick one here. The Mossad. I loved the Mossad guy because, again, how does Reese get out of this? He swims as hard as he can to the coast near Tel Aviv, washes up on a beach, and he has just enough energy to, you know, mumble the name of one of his contacts in Mossad. And we get a little callback to Aaliyah, right. which I I really liked in In the Blood. I, again, she was like a one-off character. She dies in the freaking prologue. But a lot of that book was about Reese's past relationships with her. And a, a little we get a few we, we get a few flashback scenes. And that that's like this what leads to him asking, you know, was she trying to recruit me, right? Exactly. Exactly. And I like that. I like that we get a little closure there. Like you're saying, this book is one of truth and consequences. I think it fits the theme. It's just a little nugget. If you didn't read the last book or you're not super up on the series, the scene really means nothing to you and you just move on. But if you do know what it's referencing, that Reese was wondering, was Massad trying to recruit her? Was who he thought was his friend, Aaliyah, and was his friend recruiting her? And it just is more evidence of this is the game. Once you're in the game, you're in the game. Everything about your life is going to be part of the game. And truth and consequences, he he finally found out about that. And I, and I really liked how that came to a close. It didn't feel like an extra. It, feel, it felt like that was the time to put a bow on it and move on. Yeah. No, I, I would agree. I, I liked how, you know, we wrapped up the nuke part of the story, the climax, but yet we still had a, a decent amount of the story to deal with. Like the whole interactions with Poe, we kind of we hinted it towards it earlier. Interaction with the president and Alice, you know, interaction with Vic on, on the Washington Mall, uh, setting up these micro 
cliffhangers, if you want to call them that, towards the end. Uh, oh, taking down Dashkov. We, yeah, and the Lamborghini chase. Oh yeah, we we didn't even we didn't even get into that. Yeah, like yeah, no, there's still like so much of this book after the climax of this book. You know, it's like true. when you think about it, because he's like what? he uses the Mossad to get back. Exactly. You know, to, to fulfill his mission. You know, it's like it's like those scenes from you know a Brad Thor or, or a Mitrap or any spy novel where the epilogue is is the scene where. You clean they up. go and take him out. I remember, like in Transfer of Power, like you know, he goes down and takes out Rafik Aziz. R- Rafik Aziz, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to yeah. say Ali, Ali Nazar, but no, that's that's one of James Reese's. Uh, uh, <laughs> right, exactly. How'd you feel though? Like, did you feel having that as a drawn out? I think it was still another almost an hour in the audiobook, even more mm-hmm. after the the nuke scene. And like you said, I think the typical thing we're used to or trained to as a thriller reader is an epilogue, five, 15 pages, whatever it may be. But we kind of sat with it because we had that chase at the villa on Cyprus where he shows up in Dashkov's room, gets him, but Sokolov is able to escape, who's the head of the, the Wagner group. And then he gets in the Ferrari. It's not the old school Ferrari. Did you look up the picture of that Ferrari? Do you know what that looks like? No. What was the name of it, the specific model? So it's a 1979... Uh, Ferrari G, um, GTS. Yes. Yeah. Three oh eight. It's like chase down a Lambo. I think is that was that the car that like Knight Rider was. I don't know. I, I, I'm probably sh- someone's screaming right now at their pod as they're listening to this. But <laughs> the car enthusiasts. <laughs> yeah. Like every time I butcher the name of a weapon or a gun. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But yeah, like this is one of the most iconic cars ever. Like I knew exactly once I like Googled it, I I was like, oh, I know exactly what this car is. Like I've seen it before. It's a very classic Ferrari model. But the fact that he's going up against a brand new Lamborghini that yeah. can go wicked fast was was pretty cool. And like he was able to use the no lights, the sound of the wind, the water, because obviously they're both riding top down you know and he had one he literally had one shot at it because if he didn't get it he knew that the lambo was going to outrun him right so yeah kind of cool i didn't mind the fact that we had essentially an extended epilogue right because that's what it was i i liked how you know like you said we're closing the chapter on on most things and really all we have is you know what what truly happens to the collective is the president involved with the collective because she made a phone call he was setting it up to make it seem like she wasn't, you know, a part of it at all. You know, she's getting out. She wants to work with him. She obviously gave him this proposition, which we don't we don't even know what, what it is. She sets him up with Alice, but then she makes this phone call. So is it, was she calling back Alice? Was she calling someone else? It was a different phone. It was a different phone. And it was a cryptol. It was, it was a cryptol phone. And they specifically wanted an update and a status report on Reese. That's very, very suspicious. Very fishy. Yeah. And it's while the White House recording, this, the Oval Office recording equipment is off because she said that with Reese, that this conversation is not recorded. And I thought, okay, well, that's a little trust factor, right? She's kind of building some trust with him, a little rapport. But no, maybe it was because she also wanted off for her phone call. Yeah. Ugh. I don't know. She got this president who's on her way out. You know, What is she going to do? Is she, though? I know she said that. Can we trust her, though? Yeah, I don't know. I, I trusted Christensen, but he's gone now. So, And if she is dark, she obviously wanted Reese in touch with Alice. What does that mean? If she's yeah, good and, and puts Reese in touch with Alice, then that's, that's great. But if she's dark and wants Reese to know Alice is going to be there, does that mean she co-opted Alice? And the collective we know that Alice. Alice is, quote, unquote, free, you know? But is she truly free? We'll never, you know, that's going to be a very hard question to ask. I don't know. A lot of a lot of cool things that you can deal with, and then I like the final scene with Poe. How how he like comes, he watches him for a couple of days, and even though Poe knew he was watching him the entire time. Just yeah, you know, this old spy master who takes off his waders and walks into the water. I felt like for what he did to his dad. Kind of let him off a little bit, but I guess he's an old man. 
So yeah, I mean, what's he gonna do? Slice and dice him up? We already saw that. You know, what's he gonna do? Take out the hatchet on on the dude? I think it was the appropriate way for him to go. It was it was almost a mutual understanding. Makes it look like an accident. Yeah, makes it look like an accident. And even said, you know, his body was washed up, and the authorities said no foul play. It was a fishing accident. So right, right, easier to deal with. So it's easier to deal with. I think it was uh, it was the right move. It was it was a tactical move, but it was also just uh, poetic. You know, poetic justice in a sense. And plus, they did have memories together, even though he was fooling Tom Reese. It's like. They right. did fly fish together in that stream. And James grew up on that, you know, uh, villa. So the complex. So I, I feel like, and he gets the dogs, Castor and Pollux. So Katie, right. Katie Reese got the dogs. Yeah. yeah. It's a good little touch. So I guess I have a, a couple questions before we get into the scorecard. Um, oh, one last thing. I'm sorry. I, I want to get your questions. There's another little loose end. Maybe you call it a cliffhanger. And I might claim some internet points here as well. Rafe goes to hire Max, the German assassin. I like that. Oh, right. I like that. Right, right, right. I like right, that. Right, right. Because we like that phone call, that very Grisha Azarov phone call where he wanted to work with James. He didn't want to go toe to toe with him, he didn't want to execute the, the contract. And I like that Rafe and James picked up on that and realized maybe he can be an ally instead of them having to be on a collision course. Right. Exactly. I like it. Sorry. No, no, no. That's pr- I completely, again, another thing that happens post, post nuclear bomb scene. Uh, there's, so there's a lot things. going on. Some of the bizarre exposition, I feel like we have to, we have to bring it up. We do. We do. I don't want to say bizarre, but just like some of it was interesting. What was up Kennedy. with the whole chapter on economics? Like uh, learning about futures, derivatives, like, I, like what what the hell options are. I like was like, whoa, this is going really. First of all, I'm listening to this at like one one point eight speed, so you know, like most things I can track. But like when you're you're giving me a whole economics lesson, I was like, all right, I need to slow this down, or I don't really care about that. But yeah, the the other interesting thing was the whole Kennedy stuff. You know, like throwing his that that so that's just like his idea of what the Kennedy like who actually like we killed or the reason Kennedy got got assassinated right yeah because he was meddling in Vietnam and we had that coup and yeah Ah. yeah and he even gave a rationale in the author's note at the end about how he was inspired to put that in there based on some research he found and it would work because a lot of the Vietnam era stuff and you know the Tom Reese stuff so I could see tangentially how it fit with we're tracking the POWs. Why did the POW thing happen? Because we got heavily invested in this war. What did that have to do with the CIA and Kennedy? So sure, it just felt strange when it came up. I would have been okay if it was mentioned once. Just like, let's drop this little historical nugget, possible conspiracy theory, but most likely probably actually true. And you know, how the CIA is pressuring current administrations, multiple ones, not to release the documents. Sure, it's all there, but the book's not about it. it, it the book is frankly just not about any of that. So no, it's not about it at all. Mention it, move on. Sounds good. I, I'll pick that nit just a little. I'm not going to harp on it. The economic stuff, on the other hand, it went deep, bro. That it went chapter, super deep. Was that the longest chapter in the book? It just kept going and. I feel like I was being told what derivatives and options and puts are like three or four times. And maybe that's because James needed that in order to get the point. But it's just, it, it really wasn't necessary. I mean, it was interesting that it, he took the time to actually explain, you know, what they were doing with the, with, you know, the, with their money. Right. Sure. And like how, how the collective was manipulating instead of just, you know, hand wavy and this is what they do. So, yeah, I just, hmm. we could talk about balance again because I actually, before the concert that you mentioned, I was hanging out with my buddies who I was going with and I was like, yo, let me tell you guys this theory I was reading about. And if you could predict a black swan and like, that was such a cool philosophical, like concept to think of is like, the Ukraine invasion was essentially you're controlling the timing of a black swan event. Mm-hmm. 
and you know when the West reopens sanctions, if ever, you know, in the future, that will radically shift economies. What if you could predict that date because you're the one deciding to all of a sudden agree to the terms? Or like China, right? And then you bring in Taiwan, how China and Russia were allying. Huge, huge event shaking global markets the day China decides to launch a physical invasion of Taiwan. And the people who are planning and executing that know the timing of it. That can give them an economic advantage through uh, you know options, derivatives, and whatnot. So it was making a really, really good point, a very thought-provoking point. We actually talked about it at the bar for like 30, 40 minutes. Like could an aggressor who invades another country basically be manipulating markets in order to gain uh, an economic advantage? And it's like, whoa, that's – yeah, that's interesting stuff, but I don't know if I needed it to to go this long in the tooth and, and and be this descriptive about it. But really cool theory that actually got me to talk, you know, and share and let other people comment on that. So cool discussion starter, but again, a little quicker. Let's move on. I want to see Reese with a hatchet slice a dude open through the rib cage and then cut his neck yeah, and zip tie somebody's it, cock and balls. <laughs> yeah, you went there. <laughs> Yeah, I see it in video format. I would like Amazon (laughs) Prime to uh, to cover that one, please. Uh, No, thank you. Amazon XXX. So, well, they even mentioned it earlier, right? With the fact that a year before March of twenty or February of twenty twenty one, twenty February twenty twenty, right? People in Russia were already starting to manipulate the. The, the oil futures, right? Because they knew that, or they predicted that this is how sanctions would go. This would cause skyrocketing, you know, the cost of electricity because, and oil because Europe is so dominant on it. And you also saw with COVID, right? All those senators, there's a, interesting that, you know, it is bipartisan. Both senators who had all that information in early, early January, as soon as they found out about, before like COVID was even, a thing in our minds they were selling their cruise stock and their hospitality stock and buying up you know stock uh, companies that make masks and ppe and stuff like that you know no 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 no, chris it was their brother's housekeeper's oh. son's baseball coach who was selling the stocks chris it wasn't them <laughs> right right right. and right, then they right, would just right, give right, them right, a big right. you know gift of a yacht or take them on a vacation to the bahamas so Chris, they weren't the ones manipulating those. It was their, you know, brothers, cousins, sons, uncles, waiter, you know. They would sell the stocks. Okay, Chris? Come on. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> if you could only – this is why insider trading is, like, so interesting to me. Like, I, I, I work for a big company. I'm like, I know things that, like, go on. And it's like, you know, if only people knew what's going on. They, they could buy no. or sell this stock. You're the common folk. You can't do it. You know. I know. You get seven I can't to do ten it. years. You you can't do it. If you run for Congress, though, go right ahead. Then it's all right. Yeah. Oh my god. You know, gosh. if your name's Nancy or Martha, you can get away with it. Well, Martha didn't. Never mind. There's an interesting um, New York Times thing today about robocalls. We we should talk about that offline. But anyways, all right. But let's. You know, we picked our nits. There's not many. You know, we, not many, we're, no. we're the mid-trap pod boys, so we, we got to pick some nits. Let's, um, yeah, anything else you want to say before we get to the scorecard? I actually, I know you usually, you're hitting me with the questions. I love them. I did have a few for you, though. We, we sure. maybe touched on these things, but I just want to get your, your final thoughts. How satisfied were you with truth and consequences? You know, we've always heard Jack say these one-line themes he tries to stick th- stick to for his books. And in the preface, he did say, the novel you hold in your hands is one of truth and consequences. How much of what follows is fiction and how much is truth? You will know when you turn the final page. Enjoy the journey. Time is ticking. Did that pay off for you? I think it did. You know, I I think obviously this whole idea of truth versus fiction is how he intertwined the story with current events, you know, and like sort of taken that way. But I think the truth in the sense of what we got in terms of payoff. You know, I think this is another question you have. How well do you think the Tom Reese stuff was handled? And I think it was handled well. I, I think it paid off the time. 
the, you know, his father like constantly being in his head saying that you don't always have time. Time is your 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 biggest commodity. You know, the world's largest commodity. It, it it doesn't exist forever. You need to use it wisely. So, yeah, and then consequences. This idea of any action that someone takes is is going to have to have repercussions. And I think one of our tools, or one of the tools that Jack uses, is Reese as a tool to dole out those consequences, and I thought that was kind of cool how how he did did certain things. So, yeah, I hundred percent agree with you. Yeah, I got nothing to add. That was perfect. I I loved it. Time is ticking. Time is ticking. Yeah. Only the dead. What are your thoughts on that as the title? Now that you read the book, because the quote in the front, "Only the dead have seen the end of war," George Santayana. What do you think about that? Yeah, I was kind of thinking about this at the end. Like, what did, what did that mean? And I guess it's a nod to his father. It's a nod to, you know, the mission that his father was on, like uncovering these POWs. A nod to the amount of people that James Reese puts in the ground. Like, they're the only ones who are going to know this, the, the full extent of the story. Like, what did you think it, he was going for there? I think the biggest payoff there is some of the Vietnam stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was so important to Tom Reese that for that reason, it makes sense to me. You know, only the dead have seen the end of war. You know, we're hearing about these POWs, and Jack had actual research on this in his author's note. POWs were still contemplating rescue missions in the 80s, getting them out of the house. Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. Jesus Christ, you know... And he cited, I think, four or five authors and books who talk about their stories as POWs way after the war ended. I think the title is a great tribute to them. I think the the James Reese action plot and the collective stuff, I'm not so sure about. But the fact that that was the backdrop of this story, the Vietnam era Tom Reese, Poe and Stowe uh, storyline, I love Only the Dead as a title with the Poe, Stowe, and Tom backdrop. Yeah, and we wrap up. At the National Mall, right in in between the Vietnam Memorial and the the Korean War Memorial, and he points to the World War Two Memorial and like how you know war. The, he's like, I, 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 you know, you're the quote guy, but I, I thought it was a cool quote where he talks about in that one and that one we lost people, and then in that one I think we learned that war is big business, right? And it's mm-hmm. it's going to we're going to keep going into these wars to essentially fill the coffers of defense contractors, whatever. So yeah, we only have the dead to show for it. So yeah, that's it. Only the dead have seen the end to that cycle, the military industrial complex. All right, Chris. So Jack's been leaving us on some cliffhangers. Definitely last book, a little bit this book. I think we might have to leave the people with a cliffhanger. Can I propose something here? Sure. Last book, we had Tyler Boer on to give us his thoughts, his scorecard, and his rankings of the James Reese book. We've got a full episode here already. I don't want to cut this or take anything away from the people, but what if we try within the next couple of days so the people don't have to wait too long, we get Tyler Boer back, and we have a discussion on the scorecard, judge a book by the cover, and we do our whole segment with him. That way we can get uh, his takes on the book as a... James Reese, Jack Carr expert. You down for that? A little cliffhanger here? Yeah, sounds good to me. We, we we had him on for the last couple. We we have to get his uh, you know, see where this ranks. You know, might as well combine the two. Why do it why do it two times? And the people get an extra episode out of it. How about that? There you go. There you go. I'll give you some hints. This one's this one's got a pretty good ranking of the newer Jack Carr stuff, and there's a certain cover that that you and I really like or something on the cover that we were big fans of, so We'll see if Ty feels the same way because he's the dude. Let's just say that, you know, the dude abides. We got to get Ty Boer back. He is. You know who else rocks? Our patrons. And you too can help support this podcast so we can pump out more content like this for less than the price of a novel a month. You can become a patron and be the reason we can make more podcasts. So just head to thrillerpod.com. Click the Patreon tab if you want to get more bonus content or learn more about this great community. And join our group chat. So even though we're leaving you with a bit of a cliffhanger here, 
we will absolutely post our scores and our thoughts and our feedback on this book in the patron group chat. We've got some great people over there always talking about what we're reading, constant conversation. So just go to thrillerpod.com, click the Patreon button, and join up. You could be part of the conversation. Yeah, we're definitely going to have to uh, schedule a, a, a meetup a meet or a um, group chat with uh, – not a group chat, a video chat. Why can't I speak? It's late. Uh, a video chat with our patrons soon. They've been, they've been asking for it, Mike, so we we got to schedule that. All right, so next time we meet, we will – have hopefully me, you, and Tyler. If not, it'll be just me and you. But I, I think hopefully Tyler will want to come back on. And then after that, you know, we have another. Before we get back to our Scott Harvest series, we have another installment in another series that we love so much. Chris Howdy's new book just dropped. Yes, the devil you know it's out. Yeah, so we we got to get to reading. We got to record that for this um this pod. I, I looked up a couple, some old notes. We did our Only the Dead preview back, yeah, I want to say late December, early January, and we had come up with a little reading list. Up until went up until May. We we should probably put out a new one uh, since May is almost over. And I have to say, we we did we did pretty well. We uh, only missed one book. We only didn't do full black, and that's because we threw in an extra book. We added. We did Don Bentley's first book, so we replaced right. full black with that. So we hit. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. After the W, you know, it'll be 10 books in five months. Uh, two, wow. two books a month. We're, we're, and then we're going all over the place. You know, we, we did Jack Carr. We, we did Connor Sullivan. We did Don Bentley, Scott Harvath, Chris Howdy. So, and I think we are going to try to commit to doing Kyle Mills's fade before Code Red comes out. Yes, yes, and hopefully yes, one yes, more, yes. one or two more Don Bentley books. So that will take us through what September when we get the the new rap book. And we're going to have a new Scott Harvath book coming out next True. month in July. So Deadfall in July. Yeah, we've got we did great things first half of twenty twenty three. We've got even better things planned for the next half. So stick with us. Oh, I got the Athena project edited up and ready to drop. We recorded that. Geez, it feels like weeks ago. But I finally got that edited, so that will be dropping on the Brad Thor pod. If you haven't subscribed to Season 1, the Mitch Rapp podcast, and Season 2, the Scott Harveth podcast, head on over there, because Athena Project will be dropping. All right. Again, as Mike said, we need to thank our patrons, our special operator, Sherry F., our special agents, Daryl, Kevin, George, Matt, Don, Dennis, Peggy, Catherine, Ray, Bridget, Jeff, and Mark. Please subscribe, rate, and review using your favorite podcasting platform. You can find us online at thrillerpod.com or on Twitter or Instagram at thrillerpodcast and as always time is ticking